it is. Is that orange juice or watered down orange juice? It's a margarita, bitch. Wow. <laughs> ah. ah. We got a hump day pod Wednesday midweek. If you're keeping track of the days, green light pod with my friend from across town, uh, hold up in his quarantine bunker, making gunner, making how we doing, Chris. I'm doing well. I hope you had a lovely Cinco de Mayo. Hits a little different in quarantine. No bueno, as all well. No bueno. Well said. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, yesterday when I got that news around 3 p.m., I was shocked. Of what day it was? Yeah, that it was Cinco de Mayo. Yeah. Yeah. In a way, I was shocked it was May. Yeah, it was just April, and uh, now it's May. <laughs> One day it'll be June. And yeah, eventually... before you know it. Before you know it. Has this gone slower or faster than you thought it would? Um, the days are actually fairly short for me. And then I'm going to say even the weeks are short. The last dance is, is getting up on me faster than I thought every Sunday evening. The months are slow. I'm going short days, short weeks, really long months. You know, um, I read an article or by read an article, I mean, I skimmed it at light speed because I had to get back to the timeline as I read most articles, uh, it said that our memories are going to compartmentalize this period seeming quicker than it was because there's less markers for memory and you're not going to be able to go out and do things that your brain's going to be like, okay, that was a, a, you know, that that's a marker of time. So it's going to blur together. And I already feel like it has, I don't even know, like, what are we almost two months at this thing? Yeah, just about two months. I mean, I think it was highlighted in this weekend's last dance when you see Kobe and realizing that he passed this year. I mean, three months ago. Three months ago was all it was. Um, And it's amazing what being holed up in your home for for two months can do to your entire calibration of time. I'm fucked up. I'm real fucked up. I think that's Thanks. What I think that's what calibration means uh, coming from you is that Macon's fucked up. I'm fucked up, but we push on. We podcast on. Uh, I want to talk quickly about Last Dance. Uh, you know, I did a little something on it over the weekend, but uh, I hadn't had a chance to talk to you about it. Uh, what did you take away from this episode? I think, like everybody else, John Michael Wozniak, the security guard who gave MJ the shrug. I think that was the highlight. Um, I think it's a pretty good setup to what is coming next, which will be his break from hoops. And, you know, I I think enough people have said, no, he was not suspended. I bet he was uh, being, it was being investigated and it was sort of a, a middle finger to the league. Like I'm your, I'm your star attraction. Um, look, I don't need you. Uh, I completely felt um, vicariously his spotlight and how it was just completely draining. I mean, I've seen it with you. It's a smaller scale, but um, in Seville, I mean, you have a rough night now and again where you just can't get any time to yourself and you're very polite and you give everybody your time. But if that's every day, man, if you're essentially quarantined hotel room to basketball arena to hotel room to practice facility. I mean, that's a tough life. Um, I have a question for you. What, uh, what do you think about the chronology of the doc? I think it's challenging. I think it demands that you pay attention, which is a good thing. I'm paying attention anyways, because I know I have to talk about it on the pod and it's quite frankly, one of the most entertaining things that I've seen all year, not saying a lot. Uh, but yeah, I, I will say that at times it can be a little bit confusing. Um, 
especially the closer that we get to the two storylines converging. Yeah, I uh, I'm not going to say that I'm you know this this brain up here is operating at an elite clip or anything like that. I'm not confused. I I follow it fine. I think it's a brilliant way to tell the story. I think going in order would be a less entertaining product. I I, Absolutely. I, I agree with you. I like it, but it I can see how somebody who's watching for me to be able to differentiate between the two storylines, I use contextual clues. You know, the, early on, the footage in the 80s and the footage in 98 are so different in look. I mean, and Jordan looks different. He looks like two different people. He ends up looking like three different people when you see him now. But, like, I can see how somebody who didn't pay attention to that stuff in real time or isn't a basketball fan, if they're watching this, can be a little bit confusing. I've seen a few people say the chronology is a bit confusing. But I think it's remarkably well done. The footage, as we talked about offline, this was the only thing we mentioned was the Magic MJ stuff. I mean, this stuff was from the last episode. I mean, if that hadn't seen the light of day yet, that's got to be some of the most amazing footage, you know, in sports history relative to its importance. I mean, these are two giants of the game going at each other. I mean, was that dream team practice footage unearthed for this or had it been out? I had only before, I had seen clips before, but I mean, 10 seconds, 20 seconds. The audio on that stuff, to have the audio of that trash talk exchange, to have all that. The one thing I think it's lacking for me is longer conversations with with Jordan in private, one-on-one, that you have like the Ahmad Rashad conversation going to the stadium, you know, before the net series that they closed that episode out with. I'd like to see more you know, uninterrupted Jordan monologues. Most of what you see are quick back and forth, Jordan cracking a joke, somebody joking on Jordan, him not liking the joke as we, as we talked about. Uh, it's, it's, there's not a lot of depth to what Jordan talks about yet, you know, in that footage that's been on earth. Now he's been great in present day, but to know Jordan back then, back then, I still feel like all this has done is strengthen my, my understanding that he was just a win at all costs machine. Agreed. And you can certainly understand his not wanting uh, uh, any sort of media presence inside his home, inside his personal life. And um, I think what we're seeing is what there was for the most part. I mean, he was always on, he always had to be on. It was these short little back and forth one-liner type conversations there wasn't a lot of in-depth going on i uh i i thought of you when i saw the just because you're the exact opposite but when he's essentially complaining about being drained by the spotlight and then he's driving through chicago in his bright red range rover with two tray plate and the gate dude the gate was horrendous i was i i I said i turned to my wife uh, my lovely wife, Meg, and I said, could you imagine having that gate? I mean, it would be ironic and extra eastbound and downish if I had like 91 on my gate. Uh, because <laughs> What's the big deal? I guess if anybody's going to have a gate with their number on it in 10 foot, uh, 10 foot installments, it would be Jordan. But I still just it's just so extreme and maybe not befitting of the 2020 humility, you know, or, or understated wealth that some athletes like to have because there are some I mean that's kind of become more of the the way is guys to be a little bit more understated about their uh their stardom that's absurd a 23 on the gate a vanity plate I mean that Range Rover was I don't know if that that red was available that was a custom color or not but it was Chicago Bulls red pulling into the United Center the United Center extremely iconic but I will say you look at his decor in his house uh, the freestanding TV on the bathroom counter, uh, you know, the, the the living room in the 90s. There was no how. You could have all the money in the world and you could be living better than Michael Jordan was from an interior dec- decoration standpoint in the 90s. No doubt. That Highland Park house, by the way, is uh, still on the market. Been on the market for, for many a year at this point. Wow. I've been okay, a, little, a little MLS insight. 
dabbling in another market. I think he started at 29 million and they're down to 14 million. That'll happen. That'll happen. That's why you list high, Meg. Uh, that's why you price to sell, Chris, so you're not on for, for five years. <laughs> yeah. So 14.855, and those numbers, 1 plus 4 plus 8 plus 5 plus 5, that up to 23. So Ooh. he's always got – he's always thinking about that stuff. Jeez, the walking brand. So let's get to the 36s real quick uh, before we get Stanford Steve on because this is the 36th episode of the Greenlight Pod proper. I guess last week you went first, yeah? Yeah. I think I'll go first. Um, From my favorite basketball team this year in the 2020 season, um, Asterix lost a bet. The Boston Celtics, uh, not a big man, but he can guard anybody. This is a smart pick. Marcus Smart. I love Marcus Smart. I will say that objectively, honestly, uh, haven't always liked teams he's been on, but love Marcus Smart. Listen, the first time, you know, you find out about him, other than being this guy that's supposedly pretty good out in the Big 12, and I didn't watch a lot of Big 12 basketball in my free time, uh, you know, back in 2014, I believe it was, he got drafted. So in the early teens of this millennium, I did not watch a lot of Big 12 basketball, but I did see Marcus Smart shove a guy. That's where I learned about him. Uh, If you remember him shoving that fan, who uh, allegedly tossed a racial slur his way. Surprise, surprise. Uh, I believe that was in, was it in Waco? Maybe so. I yeah, I know what you're talking about. I don't remember the location. Yeah, I think it was Waco. Waco, Utah, Jazz fans, <laughs> Baylor fans, I don't know. Uh, there, there's always something with these players and uh, and fans sitting close to the court. Listen, this was before we got a little bit nuanced. Uh, when it came to our takes uh, concerning player-fan interactions on the court, like fans were just the good guys and players were bad guys, especially college athletes. How dare the entitled college basketball player going to school for free, arrogant asshole, problem guy, push a fan. Well, it turned out that Marcus Smart probably was was right um, in doing so. Also that day, he had found out right before the game his mom had been rushed to the hospital. So he wasn't in a great frame of mind, admittedly. Uh, but he also turned out to be a model citizen in the pros. Um, he has been a guy that teammates rave about playing with and a guy that, uh, you know, as I mentioned, guard anybody in the court, hustle player, plays the game like a college basketball player, diving after every loose ball, plays with emotion. He's kind of that spark plug. He's like the battery. And I've always thought that Marcus Smart, Uh, would be a great candidate for crossover players that if you had to teach them football, I'm drafting Marcus Smart pretty high. That could be a segment in in and of itself. Obviously, LeBron would probably be a day one pick. Uh, But Marcus Smart would be up there. I don't know where we put him. He's aggressive. He's 220. He's 6'3". Maybe outside backer. I really think he's got the tenacity to pull that off. Uh, But Marcus Smart, I mean, this this year the, the Cs were like 40 and 20 going into the COVID break. Uh, which is hopefully hopefully just a break. Um, we'll see what happens. There were guys like Dwayne Wade uh, campaigning for him to be a defensive player of the year. Usually give it to big guys uh, historically, but like let's get back to the Jordans and the Paytons. Uh, Marcus Smart is deserving of that praise. So somebody who uh, deserves a lot more credit than he gets. And uh, as a as a football player, I like the way he plays ball. Kind of the heart and soul of this era of Celtics teams. I mean, he might want to accrue a couple more years, but uh, glue guy probably does him a disservice. He's, um, he's a real good player. He, uh, he went, Marcus Smart went to Marcus High School in Flower Mound, Texas. Yeah, Flower Mound. Yeah, I read that. Uh, I read that in the bio. Are you ready for my 36? I am. This one takes a turn. Um, my pick is Gaylord Perry. Born in the year 1938, 3.11 ERA over a 22-year career. First player to win the Cy Young in each league and known for throwing spitballs. Despite it being illegal, he wasn't tossed from a game for it until his penultimate 21st season in the majors. Born in Williamston, North Carolina, named after a close friend of his father's who died while having his teeth pulled. (laughs) 
Are you sure it wasn't? He wasn't named after somebody uh, whose name was spelled backwards. Let go. <laughs> Who was that last week we said in the 35s? Nomar. Nomar, Nomar Garcia Parra. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to move on. Uh, Gaylord <laughs> studied at Campbell University in his home state. They're the fighting camels. And um, Gaylord uh, is now the name of the camel. The mascot is named after Gaylord Perry there at, at Campbell University. And camels. Bit, dude. Nice. Reputation throughout his career for doctoring baseballs, inspected on the mound by umpires, monitored closely by opposing teams. He approached Vaseline about endorsing their product. (laughs) Rebuffed, allegedly, with a one-line postcard reading, we soothe babies' backsides, not baseballs. A former manager famously quipped he should be in the Hall of Fame with a tube of KY jelly attached to his plaque. He also <laughs> threw a puff ball where he would load up on rosin so that a puff of white smoke would release, would release while he threw his pitches. Um, catchers would often get the ball out of the mitt and just shake their heads. Opposing batters would get tossed after complaining about the guy. Um, uh, eventually elected to the Hall of Fame in 1991. That's the other part. He was really good. Now, Chris, this is the part where um, I'm doing my research for the pod here, and we're about five minutes before go time, and I read the following sentence and immediately regret my choice based on what I heard in a recent documentary. Gaylord Perry supported and, campa- and campaigned for Jesse Helms. Oh, no. Along with Lou Holt. And contemplated a bid for Congress himself in 1986. Yes, the same Jesse Helms featured in last Sunday's The Last Dance. So holy um, shit, dude, making bomb. We are uh, perhaps Mr. Perry has some regrets. Um, perhaps he doesn't. We none of us are perfect. Guy throws uh, for throws more than 3,500 Ks in his illustrious career. Um, once I got to that personal nugget, I had some regrets about learning more about this. No, but this is a great opportunity to remind anybody with a Gaylord Perry jersey that you should probably just throw in the trash. <laughs> okay, let, that's that's good. You got everything on your thirty-six. Yeah. Yes. More than I wanted. Okay, that's that. That was good. Those are good thirty-sixes. Um, and uh, let's get Steve on the horn. We're going to talk about good breaks in sports. Uh, we did bad breaks last week. Steve. Steve, you got to say Steve twice when you say Steve like that. I had cheese. Welcoming to the show two weeks in a row. This is a fun trend we got going it's that time here. Of year, guys, it's that time of year. It is that time of year. I don't know what time of year it is. It's the time of year where you get desperate and you continue to ask your friends back on your show because there is nothing to talk about, and we got to figure some uh, some vintage stuff out to talk about. So we got. More uh, good breaks. We had bad breaks last week. We decided to balance it with some positivity. I don't know why we led with the negativity, but it was a lot of fun. I know we've got a lot of them. Steve's got what what looks like uh, some orange juice uh, in the frame here on Zoom. Margarita. It is. Golden margarita. Who wants to start today? The order we, I mean, we bounced around last week, but I think we went me, Macon, Steve. Why don't we snake draft this thing? And, and lead off with Steve. We're, again, doing best breaks, you know, best luck. That can be luck. It can be, you know, a little bit of skill and luck. You know, the parameters are not that specific. We just want to talk about some sports, and there's nothing to talk about. So, Steve, you want to lead it off? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go uh, Spurs win the lottery in 97. Tim Duncan, obviously. Uh, everything was uh, played right by the Celtics to attain that first pick. The percentages were there. And they didn't get it. Patino was the coach, ended up, you know, ruining his pro career. Um, you know, he have, ended up winning some titles, obviously, and, and got some other stuff. Uh, but what the Spurs did with uh, Tim Duncan uh, with that pick is, is pretty darn legendary. And he's easily the most overlooked superstar um, that in, in my lifetime. I think he, he doesn't get enough credit uh, for what he did, the titles he won, because he didn't win, like, back-to-back stuff like that and it's just bs but um his career is, is as impressive as there is in an nba career in my lifetime who is he really like 
who's the real Tim Duncan? Because he's one of these guys that I just – it's kind of shrouded in mystery for me. I mean, his image has been pretty squeaky clean. And, you know, he's not he, – he doesn't give himself up a lot to the media or to, you know, the public. I, I, I think he's in his own class. I think he's that – he was that good of a player. He goes about the things, you know, the way he wanted to the whole time. People forget he came back to college, to Wake Forest. Like that's that like that just gets you know thrown away. Like think of, if you ever done that, um, he just like I just feel like. But teammates love him. Like they're his favorite teammate, biggest prankster. Um, there was retirement speech was, was pretty good. Pop lit him up. Um, but like it's like the ultimate wall. I think he was the like one of the first to build. Um, but still be a good guy to his teammates, if that makes yeah. any sense. Yeah, he's able to maintain that distance but not be an asshole, which seems cool. And then you mentioned him going back to school. It's hard enough going back to school if you were a pro athlete, you know, from a conversation standpoint, from a visibility standpoint. But when you're 6'10", and you got to duck to get in some of the doors. But, by the way, what's his name? Uh, Forbes, Steve, Steve Forbes. fucking Forbes, the hire of the week, making yeah. me of the hire last week and sent me that brilliant video did you see the videos steve i did not you haven't seen the steve forbes video no okay we're gonna pause the podcast i'm gonna send you the video real quick and then we're gonna react to it (laughs) that doesn't get you fired up for the demon deacons i I don't know what will i mean that's the house that duncan built (laughs) the keys are handed over you think that's on brand for duncan what do you think duncan thought when he saw that video for the first time (laughs) I, I could see him denying wanting to see that. I, like, he doesn't want to see that. Yeah, well, I didn't realize they hadn't won the ACC since ni- 1996. Those rafters he pointed out, those dusty-ass rafter- rafters, I mean, uh, they they haven't had a banner up there in some time. I didn't realize that. Yeah, no, they, it's been uh, it's been pretty dry down there. Uh, great campus, though. Great campus. I took it on an official down there. Really? Yeah. You almost ended up in the ACC, huh? Jim Caldwell was the head coach. Well, you almost ended up in the ACC, but it, it, if it wasn't for Algie Crumpler, right? Correct. Damn, Algie Crumpler. Argument other podcasts. <laughs> um, Macon, what you got, man? So we had uh, we kicked it off. And by the way, didn't Elliot and David Robinson have to get hurt for that to happen, for them to have that need to want to go do it, or was that unanimous? Yeah, Robinson. There was, there was something around, and they 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 uh, they padded the stats. Uh, with some bad players, I think, at the end when they realized what was possible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Shout out to my good friend Corey Alexander, who played 80 games that season for the 20 and 62 San Antonio Spurs. Wow. Wow. Also, um, Roger Mason's team as well, UVA, uh, a couple UVA studs there made it to the Spurs. Uh, they know how to pick a make. Who you got now? I got Wilt scoring 100. Here's the backdrop. Playoff-bound Philly Warriors were facing the lowly Knicks, who had finished with the league's second-worst record and were missing Phil Jordan, their starting center. The official story was that he was suffering from the flu, but Mm -hmm. his teammates knew better. Said Daryl Imhoff, the 6'10 center who took Jordan's spot, quote, the inside scoop was that he was hungover, end quote. Mm. Classic. Imhoff played 20 minutes before getting in foul trouble. He was replaced by Cleveland Buckner, a 6'9 rookie from Jackson State, and a host of other undersized defenders to contend with Wilt. That's the backdrop. The big break here is Wilt's freaking free throw shooting. He was a 51% free throw shooter, my friends, and went 28 of 32 that wow. game. 88%. And there are stories of this Philly team being up big late and fouling on every possession to get the ball back to get willed up to triple digits. Uh, C. Long, just before getting on with you here, uh, I learned for the first time of a conspiracy theory regarding that game. From it didn't you, happen. From you. Like some people really think it didn't happen. What's the fucking, what's the point of that conspiracy theory? I know it happened in Hershey and like probably very few people saw it. I I was shocked at the conspiracy theory. I was also shocked at the fact that people really, 
that that Will Chamberlain, I guess I'm not shocked that Wilt would go out before the night before the game, but he was out till 6.30 in the morning, 170 miles away. So, like, he wasn't just out the night before, but his big ass got into a little car, presumably, and drove hammered 170 miles. I mean, like, how did you get around if you were Wilt Chamberlain at, oh, at, at 6.30 in the and morning? And then a 51% free throw shooter shoots 28 of 32 from the line. It's unbelievable. What year was that again? March 2nd, 1962. March 2nd. Okay, so that's Waylon's birthday. Nice. I can tell Waylon about uh, his birthday. Your, your conspiracy theory, is it that it didn't happen or people like the game happened, but he just didn't score a hunt? I don't know what the conspiracy theory was, but in the last couple weeks, there's been a lot of basketball historians on Twitter, and I've seen some conspiracy theories. And there was uh, a theory that, A, it didn't happen, or B, to your point, uh, it, it didn't happen from a scoring standpoint. I have no idea. I'm perfectly fine accepting that we, you know, I don't know if I'm fine accepting that we landed on the moon, but I'm, I'm perfectly fine accepting things as inconsequential as Will Chamberlain scoring 100 points on a bunch of fucking used car salesmen in the okay. 60s. Like, no big deal. Uh, I'm, I'm cool with it. I believe it. Uh, it happened. I want to go from hangover to hangover because that's the theme of this. And by the way, I loved the fact that I can tell Waylon, like, on your birthday in the morning, Will Chamberlain was drunk. But then at <laughs> night, Will Chamberlain <laughs> scored 100 points, and he shot 28 of 32. Anything is possible, as Kevin Garnett said. Anything 170 miles. Yeah, you had to drive 170 miles. Can you imagine that Uber ride? I mean, in a car that's going 70 miles an hour, it's mind-numbing. Jesus. It's crazy. And the fact that he probably had to drive himself is absurd. I wonder what kind of nap he got that day. Mm. Um, yeah, okay, so have you heard of Max McGee? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if Meg's heard of Max McGee. This might oh. be a, a generational thing. Max McGee, the wide receiver for the Packers. Okay, the first Super Bowl, right? Um, I believe it was the first Super Bowl. It was, Super Bowl one. Yeah, he was an 11-year pro, okay? Uh, Good player, but at this stage in his career, he caught like three ball, three balls on the season, right? So they're getting ready to play the Chiefs, and they're in L.A. They've been in Santa Barbara for like a week. He moves into L.A. As teams do, they move into L.A. to get close to the game like a day or two out. So now they're in the thick of it, and he had made friends with these flight attendants. He lived with Paul Horning in Green Bay, and uh, evidently they were like the, the single guys. So what being single in Green Bay entails, I'm not sure. Like I. I actually can't even imagine like how that's like a badge of honor. Like, hey, you know how it is in Green Bay uh, in the 60s. I have no idea with no Tinder, no social media, just phone books. So these guys were these guys were ready for the Super Bowl. Uh, he thought that he was going to be a backup. The guy ahead of him, Dowler, uh, got hurt the third play at a bad shoulder. What he didn't know, though, was that the night before Max McGee was out till 630 in the morning with these flight attendants and was completely drunk by the time uh, the morning was up. He was still feeling it from the night before. He got put in the game on a third play in somebody else's helmet, because he couldn't find his helmet, caught a 37-yard yep. touchdown. Uh, I think it was the first one, right? Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, and then he went on to catch a bunch of balls for like 140 yards. And I'm just like, Lombardi raised the fines that week from what I read. He was like, we're not getting any trouble. $5,000 fine. Max McGee didn't give a shit, broke curfew, and Super Bowl one, he's a hero, hungover. Unbelievable. He retired a year later. He was supposed to retire after that game. The next year he caught like three balls, and the next year he caught like a 28-yard touchdown in that game as well. So he was, a, he was like a, a clutch hero, and he was hungover for Super Bowl one. How lucky do you have to be not just to get the balls that he got that day, but also to, to go out hungover and, and make plays? Pretty hungover. Yeah. Like, yeah, I guess. I well, mean, you know what? They, they, he didn't know the importance of the Super Bowl. He just thought maybe it was like a low bowl game. It was, a, it was the first Super Bowl. They were winning NFL championships, right? Yeah, you know what? You're right. I mean, for him, it might have been more of just another game. I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but, but the thought of thinking like, dude, you're not even second string. You're, you're, like, you're not even third, fourth string. Like, you're next up, and you're going to go out and get blasted uh, with, uh, with the flight attendants. 
It's just, it's just unbelievable. And knowing the guy in front of him had a bad shoulder, he went out and balled anyways. I don't know if you could ever play hungover, Steve, but I couldn't. Maybe spring ball, but I never played hungover. I didn't never play to the level that you never did, that you did, and I never even thought about like drinking the night before a game. I never, I, I, no way, never crossed no. my mind. I'm gonna go with the Sullivan, uh, the Sullivan fiasco in the Jackson Five uh, in in Boston. So the whole story about how Robert Kraft got ownership over the Patriots is crazy. Um, I'm sure Steve, you've heard this. I don't know, Make, if you're familiar, but. Um, I just learned about it this week, coincidentally. And, uh, you know, this dude, Billy Sullivan, I guess his name was, and his kids were the owners of, of all the – it's funny because one of the Sullivan kids actually got in a fist fight with the Raiders. Do you remember that game? And Matt Mellon punched one of the kids. Was that, was, was that part of the ownership group that he punched in the face? Oh. Matt Mellon. Yeah. Yeah, I think Matt Mellon uh, punched one of the Sullivan kids in the face, and my dad – was getting it into getting into it with one of the owners, but that was all I knew about them until this point. When Robert Kraft got the team, uh, it was something like he had to own. You had to own the parking lot, the concessions, and the stadium, and the team. Um, he couldn't get the team at first. He bought the property around the stadium, so Sullivan had the stadium. But as long as Sullivan had the stadium, it was like a stronghold. Now in 1984. Um, you know, right after the strike. So they were hurting for money. Jackson 5 was going on this reunion tour. It was the 10-year uh, anniversary of their last tour. And they had never been on tour together since Michael made it. It had just been Thriller. So Sullivan and the family go into business with Don King to, uh, to front this tour. Don King takes them to cleaners. <laughs> they lose $22 million. Uh, and eventually, uh, this is the worst part, the loan, the collateral on the loan for the licensing was in the name of the stadium. So they lose the money. The stadium, you know, they go bankrupt. They have to give the stadium up to Robert Kraft. And if it's not for that Jackson 5 tour, I don't think the Patriots go on the run they, they do. In fact, in the, late 80, or in the late 80s, I believe it was, there was a guy from St. Louis that was trying to buy the team, early 90s, move it to St. Louis. But because of Robert Kraft's stranglehold that he got, through the Sullivan blunder, you know, they, they couldn't move the team. And he had a 10-year lease on the thing. And eventually he got the team and the Patriots went on this dynastic run. So the Jackson 5 are responsible for the Patriots dynasty. Somebody did a research this week. Yeah, yeah. I never well, heard Robert, that story. Robert Kraut, he made his money in like paper goods, right? Yeah, he had like a copying type thing going on, like Michael Scott shit, I think. Oh, I thought it was like napkins and paper cups. Maybe it was. Maybe maybe that part of the research is like yeah. a lot of paper cups. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so the Patriots and Jackson 5 and Don King inextricably linked. All right. All right. My good break is going to be the Chicago Bulls landing Michael Jordan, which might feel a bit played at this moment in time. But let me tell you about Sam Bowie a little bit. Picked second overall by the Portland Trail Blazers, as we know. Sophomore year, goes up for a dunk against Vandy, gets hurt. Doctors think it was due to shin splints, pain felt before his junior year. X-rays revealed Bowie had a stress fracture. He was in a cast for 44 weeks. After removing the cast, injury did not heal. Bowie had to have it surgically repaired with a bone graft. As his class graduated, Bowie applied for and was granted an NCAA medical redshirt to allow him another year. Bowie returned for the 83-84 season, having not played in two years. He played in all 34 Kentucky games and averaged 10.5 points, nine boards, and a block and a half. And that team went to the Final Four, lost to Georgetown. Um, but fellas... As we're told that, okay, Portland had Clyde, and they don't want to pair Jordan and Clyde. These days we would say, heck no yeah, question. let's do it. Forget about need. Let's go for talent. But Bowie, when you dig down into it, uh, chronic injuries and not putting up numbers and yet goes second overall ahead of who turns out to be the greatest. And injuries time. turned out to be the thing that, that eventually hampered him from having probably a, a, a much better career 
at least so it looked better now. I mean, when you talk, we talked to Clyde Drexler on the show a couple weeks yeah, ago, and he was like, he was like, yeah, dude, he was a good player. It just was the injuries, and you know, it always would have been Jordan got picked, uh, you know, after Bowie, uh, but it would have lessened the blow had he been healthy. Guys, it happened to him again. They took Odin ahead of Durant. Yeah, no, I know. Like the, the the Blazers as a franchise have been extremely unlucky. Extremely unlucky. Un- um, oh. Steve, you're yeah, Steve, you're up. Yep, I'm up. I'm going Jeffrey fucking Mayer. Uh, caught the ball. Yankees, Orioles, Tony Tarasco, wigging out. Looked like a guy that I would not want to mess with. Started the whole Yankee ordeal in '96. Uh, I was in college. Uh, out on the practice field, uh, Messina was an Oriole at the time. So every Jeffrey Hammond was playing for the Orioles. Uh, so everybody was all in on the Orioles out at, out at the farm. And I remember my trainer, Jimmy, coming out and saying, you're never going to freaking believe what happened. I'm like, what happened? Like, the Orioles were winning. He's like, the Yankees won. You're not going to believe it. I remember running off the practice field, going to training table, and just seeing the replay. Like, you got to be kidding me. Like, this Dude. is – this is and it just started. It started everything. It was 18, 20 years since they won a World Series. Imagine what happens if they lose that series. Who knows what Steinbrenner does? Like who knows? Uh, and the so- Orioles, like going back, like the Orioles were the best team in Major League Baseball the year before was the strike. I want to say ninety four, ninety five, right around there. And like just, just terrible. But like the Yankees, Jeter, the whole nine, that whole thing. The evil empire starts with. Jeffrey Mayer catching a ball, reaching Nice over. hat, by the way. My Mets team. Hat on. Born um, losers. Born losers. I go uh, again? Not last week when we talked about Buckner, though. You, you got the Jeffrey Mayer thing. By the way, Mayer turned out to be a really good baseball player himself. Yeah. He, he ended up being West- the hits leader at Wesleyan. Yeah, Connecticut kid. It's crazy. I mean – and and he yeah. actually handled it pretty well when you know when you uh, when you sent me over that kid's name I was like what's he doing these days and even in the aftermath he he seemed to handle it well although he said that Kornheiser calling him calling it you know the pinnacle of his life and everything's downhill from here kind of hurt his feelings but the guy seemed to be pretty well adjust, adjusted all that goes to show you is like if you're gonna Bartman or Mayor do it for your team. I mean, imagine yeah, yeah, Bartman had close to Bartman. I, I don't. That that's in its own level. Yeah, yeah. Well, why? Why? I mean, it was a there was there was a whole another game to play for the Cubs and Marlins. Like, yeah, that, that that Bartman thing gets blown out of proportion. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. I thought you were saying the Bartman thing was worse. I mean, I think oh no no, no. mayor's yeah. in it. Mayor's way up. The mayor thing was more acceptable, maybe because it was a kid, twelve year old kid. Understood. And, you know, you're catching the ball to help your team win, so you're not going to get mobbed on the way out. Let's Correct. talk about something other than the Yankees. I was in College Park. I was uh, producing our radio broadcast. You talk about doing something for your team. I did not either. We were up late in College Park, and uh, this is a Coach Bennett team, so not too long ago. But I uncrossed my legs on press row and completely cut the power all of press row, game clock, shot clock, everything. And everybody's looking around like, what, what on earth is going no. on? And I look under and I'm like, oh, my God, I've done it. And Coach Bennett is not pleased, um, thinking as if somebody at Maryland has pulled the plug. I've never told the story. Maybe I shouldn't have. And, nice. um, I, I act oblivious. I, and then somebody comes running over, plugs it back in. Fortunately, it doesn't, doesn't point at me. Um, everything goes back to normal. Who's win the game? But I was beat red for Mortified. about five minutes. Is there a video of this? No. I'm digging this one up. No. Um, yes, there is. There's, was, you probably, I mean, like, that's a huge fear. It's an irrational fear, like, because you're not going to sit courtside a lot or be press row a lot. But ruining a basketball game. It's hard spill, to do. Spilling, spilling a big gulp or, you know, tripping or, you know, spilling your popcorn. Like, I don't know. The, this, it's just a big irrational fear. It's up there with driving off from the gas station with the – Great job, mate. Not, not irrational for me because I've done it. But, 
uh yeah i mean that's that that that's harrowing make yeah 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 it's me it's is it me now i want this is going to be a curveball for you guys whoa i could always hit a curveball because i was late on fastballs the yeah i couldn't hit i was the opposite i couldn't hit a curveball Kawhi leonard in general okay you get drafted by the spurs or you get drafted by the pacers and the spurs rescue you i mean so that just in the beginning (laughs) And that's 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 uh, that's luck in and of itself. Uh, you escape there, you know, relatively unscathed. I mean, at first there were some people with some character assassinations on him over that. But anytime you force your way out of uh, an organization that's thought to be all class, perennial winners, uh, you're going to take the heat. Now, the reason he didn't take the heat is because he went and won, and it made him look smart. Uh, you know, getting out. When he got out, I don't know that San Antonio would have been as good as they had in the past, and he gets to win in Toronto. And the run, I mean, the, the game seven, um, the drop in the bucket from the corner, hit the rim probably six times, the quietest I've ever heard in arena. Uh, it was one of the coolest shots of all time, but it was undoubtedly lucky. I mean, you could, you could argue that he put touch on it, uh, this, that, and the third. That was a lucky shot. And then to make that run, uh, you know, you need the, the Warriors to be relatively decimated, a brand new team. I mean, walking yeah. wounded. I mean, they don't even look the same in that series. It felt like one of the biggest, biggest asterisk championships I've ever watched. Um, and, and that might be unfair to the to the Raptors because injuries happen. But the way they happened for that Golden State team was just unbelievable. So I would say Kawhi Leonard, he's been pretty damn lucky uh, for all those reasons. 20, 25 years from now, shit, even 5, 10, whatever. People are going to look at all-time champions and be like, what the hell happened when the Raptors won the title? You know? Like, it's just yeah. going to be one of those things. It's, yeah. it's ultimate one-hit wonder. Because that's a sport where, you know, you know, you go through the 80s. Like, we're watching the Jordan last dance thing. The Bulls on the 90s. Lakers, Celtics, the 80s. Pistons had their two years. You know, Lakers, the early 2000s. It's a league where one-hit wonders do not happen a lot and that one is going to stick out really a lot well they sold out i mean they sold out to win that championship they they made the move knowing Kawhi could walk um and and that's just what happened so uh but they won they won a championship i mean i I know that it's a hockey country but i could easily see a, a a statue of Kawhi being built outside. I could see a statue of Kawhi being built to overshadow for the fact that they cheered Kevin Durant's Achilles popping. Uh, yeah. That, that was the moment because Canada always likes to play the holier than thou, and they turned out to be just like every American city when it came to uh, classes <laughs> moments in, in, in big arenas. So happens. Who's up? You are. You're again. Oh, I am. Snake draft. How many times am I going to ask who's up? Uh, I'm going to go Tony Mandarich, okay? Tony Mandarich's needle. Now, bear with me here. The fact that Tony Mandarich got on the juice, catapulted him to the top of the draft boards, and uh, I'm forgetting the GM's name, Tom Bratz. He gets fired over that. Now, if they don't, if they don't pick Mandarich, Bratz doesn't get fired. Ron Wolf doesn't get hired. The rest is history. Brett Favre, Reggie White. Uh, Ron Wolf uh, is linked to Green Bay forever uh, and a big part of their championship uh, heyday there in the 90s. That's, that's, I mean, you must have been really bored with the research you're doing. Like, you're, you're oh. all. What had, happened, what had happened here was initially I'm thinking about drafts and I'm thinking about Tony Mandarich taking steroids being good luck for the city of Detroit football because without Barry Sanders, it's been a rough run for them. Uh, mm-hmm. If it's not for Tony Mandarich, maybe maybe Barry is in Green Bay. Uh, so not only is it luck that he falls to you, but it's also luck that it's your division, one of your division rivals that ends up with the shitty player. Uh, and that shitty player gets the GM fired and that leads to a big piece of the puzzle. Uh, and a domino effect for for Green Bay as a franchise, it, you know, because there was no guarantee that they were going to get back on the horse. You know, the way we think about the Packers now, the Packers in the early '90s and whatnot, those oh. championship years were long gone. I mean, They're this would have been a team. 
think about the paradigm shift of thinking about the Packers as a team that won uh, when our parents were kids, but not now. I mean, yeah. these little dominoes affect that. No, no doubt about it. Lynn Dickey starting at quarterback, like there, there was yeah. they were playing game, home games in Milwaukee. They played like one or two home games a year in Milwaukee. Can you imagine not playing every home game at Lambeau? Think yeah. about it. Yeah. And and even, I mean, make for the you know the uniform crowd here, they had that shoulder stripe in that era. I mean, how do you how yeah. do you fuck up uh, you know, perfection there with the Packers iconic uniforms? They were even fucking that up. So not a good era for the Packers. And thanks to Tony Mandarich, uh, it all changed. Nice. Make Ryan, it. Good luck piece revolves around a challenge. Iron Bowl 2013. Number one, Alabama is 11-0, and going to Jordan Hare. Auburn's number four and 10-1, and and Alabama was 10-point favorites, which is surprising. Yeah. The, uh, Steve, where were you on that? I'm trying to see. 2013, who was the quarterbacks? McCarron, yeah. And uh, for Auburn, Nick Mark. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. So Auburn nice rallies late to tie it at 28 with 32 seconds left. Alabama moves it to the Auburn 38, at which point the clock runs out, mm-hmm. seemingly sending the game to overtime. Saban challenges the timekeeping. And after a video review, one second was put back on the clock. They attempt a 57-yard field goal. Chris Davis for Auburn's lined up just in front of the goalpost, catches it, takes it back to the house. It's kick six. Auburn wins the game, knocks Alabama out of the running for national title, out of the running for an SEC title. Auburn goes on to beat Mizzou in the SEC title game 59-42. to and then they come up just short against <laughs> SEC the defense 34-31 in the national title game. But the kick six, I had forgotten, doesn't happen without a challenge by Saban, which ends up backfiring, and Auburn wins the game. And uh, the week before that, what happened? The Hail Mary. Georgia. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's – go back and look at the – I mean, we forgot bad breaks, Saban kicking game at Alabama. I mean, how many more national titles you want them to win? It's, it, it all comes down to a kick. He never right. lost unranked teams. Only lose, to, you know, teams that are getting up for him to have the talent to beat him. Uh, that's a, that kick six. I, I see the years, and I'm only good at years of like my college, like where I know even year who's playing where. You know, uh, yeah. the, the I, I mean, I'm watching it every year, but when you throw the year in front, it's tough. That's what I remember where I was. That's a sports moment I remember where I was. For for sure. I mean, it's that iconic of a college football moment. And like, I don't know where it ranks, but it's unforgettable. It's so unforgettable that you, we all forgot uh, that it seemingly there was the Hail Mary the week before. So hey, it's, that, uh, that Alabama backfield with McCarron is TJ Yeldon, Kenyon Drake, and Derrick Henry. In yep. Oh, my goodness. Amari yeah. Cooper on the outside. Oh, my goodness. And then they, they – Alabama lost Oklahoma in the Sugar Bowl because they weren't motivated. You know how SEC is? Yep. And they're not in the title game. Yeah, you know what, though? It didn't happen to Georgia last year as an aside. Um, Georgia was the most motivated team I've ever seen to beat up on Baylor. Well, that's because the year before they lost to Texas in the same exact spot. Oh, my God. The sounds that were coming off that fucking sideline from that coaching staff were guttural. <laughs> I mean, like, they were just like – passionate screams of just they wanted to just kill Baylor dude they wanted to kill him no yeah I mean all that happened because of the year before and they had a bunch of starters Um, too so I'm up um man I still got a bunch you took the Kawhi all right let's go I gotta go uh Jimmy V Lorenzo Charles catching Wittenberg's air ball um I mean that's if we were if we were alive then we would have remembered where we watched that one let's just put it that way yeah. And that I mean, run is incredible. You know, that that 30 for 30 um, with Valvano, that's – I mean, I know ACC people don't really like it because he beat every single team in that run, including Jordan. Um, so it was – it's still just – it's the ultimate moment. Um, and just to see that is, is, is incredible. 
because uh, that's that's five samples slam a jamma man. That's that that's an iconic team that gets another title if that doesn't happen. So Wittenberg, the air ball, uh, you know, that wasn't even he wasn't even supposed to get that shot. Valvano oh. wanted them to run the ball down to 10 and low to take the shot. And the shot was ill-advised. It was early. Um, it was almost like people f- forgot how bad the shot was, not just the fact that it was an air ball, but ill-advised. So, yeah, incredibly lucky moment for them. National championship. Uh, and then my other is I got to go hand to God. Uh, Argentina quarterfinal 86 World Cup against England. I mean, it just – if you haven't seen the Maradona – uh, uh, doc on HBO. Go watch that. It's absolutely incredible. I'm not a soccer guy, but to be able to see what that guy's life was as not being a soccer fan, but seeing a country that treats soccer players as as icons, it's incredible. But that play, uh, obviously, it was a handball and shouldn't have happened. But they end up going on to win a World Cup, and it's it's madness. Well, let's talk about. Hail Marys in general, uh, okay. skill or luck with within the Hail Mary umbrella. I will just mention David Tyree and he mm-hmm. pins a ball against his helmet and the giants beat the, the Pats who had just trademarked 19 and 0 perfect season all over the place. And Eli gets his, uh, his first of two. Um, what do we, what do we think fellas? Good luck or. They could be both. I mean, Aaron's got three, so there's something going on there. Aaron Rodgers threw two in the playoffs, I believe, and then one in the regular season that I can remember. Um, So he has a few. So, I mean, it could be luck. It could be what part of the end zone you're throwing the ball if you believe that a thrower has enough to put put the air on it to get it to the, you know, a certain corner or side of the field. But, you know, some guys are just busting their ass to get the ball down there. And then it's 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 usually for a defensive player. Yeah, I've heard this a million times. Knock it down. Don't try to catch the fucking ball. You know, I've heard that time and time again. And there are countless instances in NFL games where you don't realize how close it was for until a hail mary popped in the offense's hands. I mean, because of bad technique technique usually by the jumper or somebody on defense. Uh, but I do think there's a lot of luck there. I mean, you kidding me? So it depends on the catch. Yeah, I mean, there's deflections involved. The thing is, Chris, I don't know about you, but, like, practicing – like, I, I was part of teams. We practiced that play. and yeah. But we're never in pads, ever. Right. You know? Right, it always was, late in the week. Yeah. So, it's uh, – I mean, one of those instances you're talking about is Gronkowski, the second – not the Tyree game, the second Giants went over to Patriots. Oh, we were so close. Brock, he's right there. He's right there to win the Super Bowl if he catches it. Um, but it's it's just a fact. I, I just kept – I asked you guys last week about it, and this week just is the good break, bad break. Is it luck? Is it not? I'm there. There is work that goes into it, and there are quarterbacks, especially nowadays, that can put it wherever they want it. And you've seen it with Rodgers. He got burned with one uh, that was on ESPN last night with the bullshit fail Mary play. Um, so – it's it's I, I try to disregard them because there's there's so many of them. Right. Uh, I, I don't I mean, Flutie, obviously, but I don't like what's the biggest stakes we've seen a Hail Mary? Like it feels like that'll be the one, you know, like an NFL playoff game one on one. I don't feel like I've seen that. Just the Aaron Rodgers uh, Cardinals. And there was uh, one other. Uh, what he threw. At the end of the first half against the Bolt Boys from the Giants yep. a couple yep, years ago. He had ago. the Cardinals, the Giants, and the Lions. Yep. In the playoffs, he Lions. had the Giants uh, at, before the half. And the Cardinals was, I believe, at the end of the game. Yeah. So that was the biggest one I had seen. And yeah. It's funny because, like, we looked at the, the Flutie play for the better part of 30 years. I couldn't tell you what that was for. <laughs> Regular season game where nobody beat Miami. That's what it was. Is the eighty? Yeah, I mean, well, you know, I'm sure it was a big deal, but you know, it talk about the 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 substance of a player, however you want to put it, um, exceeding you know what it meant in actuality, just due to the fact that it's a hail mary. I mean, it could have been anything else, 
everybody loves him. I could watch Hail Mary situations all day long. You know what my biggest pet peeve in football is? Guys getting tackled. They don't rush enough. No, with guys getting tackled. Yeah, there we go. Guys getting tackled with the ball in their hands uh, in, in the final seconds when they're doing the hook and ladder thing. Just throw the fucking ball in the air. I can't stand that. Well, I could because it's the ultimate recipe for bad beats. So yeah, I don't no, like- yeah, well, that's true. I mean, the Ohio State Northwestern one haunts me to this day. Uh, yeah. Haunts me to this day. There was a play like that this year with Arizona and San Francisco off the top of my head as well. I'm going to go with uh, the, the Seahawks. You made me think of it uh, in general. Seahawks, very lucky organization lately. And, you know, I know some people might say, okay, what about the Malcolm Butler play? That was their fucking fault, okay? That was arrogance on the part of an offensive coordinator. No doubt. Uh, you know, that that was their fault. But to get down there, Jermaine Curse, uh, oh. also the Super Bowl, um, you know, playing Peyton Manning. Now, I think they'd have beat that Denver team wherever, but playing Peyton Manning outside in New York of all places, like that's the worst place you can play the best player. Um, mm-hmm. Also, the first play of the game is a bad snap. Uh, and it was over from then. I mean, when you do that, the first play of the game, the game's, you know, going to be a hard one for you to get back into. Uh, and then the Bostic onside kick, you know, that was huge. And and what sucked that year is ultimately they won that game. They were down 19-13 uh, onside kick at home against the Packers. The Packers were very good, too. Packers, New England felt like the collision course that year. It would have been awesome. We were denied of that. Uh, it ended up being, I believe, Seattle. Uh, they yeah. got a Super Bowl That's that the year. 28-24 to the, to, to the Patriots. But they were up 19-13 with not a lot of time to go. They kicked the ball. Bostic, who's a third-string tight end, played a long time now. Uh, he's supposed to block somebody so Jordy Nelson can get the ball. He fucks it up. Seahawks recover. Not to mention the bomb they needed to get down there and score to go up 22-19. Uh, they tie the game. Packers do, but then they lose in overtime. The Seahawks are so fucking lucky. I played in that division for eight years. They got every break. <laughs> Why do we wait so long to bring that one up? That 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 feels so close to the heart. I it feels it. real because uh, for eight years I used to sit there. I remember one night I was getting drunk in South Beach with my buddy Tom Sandy. Shout out to Tom Sandy, and uh, I was on my annual postseason trip because I never played in the postseason. So I was down there. And I'm like watching Seattle, who we beat like twice that year, yep. go beat the shit out of the Broncos. And I'm sitting in the room and I, I couldn't even go out. I was so depressed, just hammering Coronas, chasing, you know, chasing my shots of tequila with Corona. And by the fourth quarter, it was just pity. It was pity. It was self-pity. Yeah. So I guess it, it's still my turn. Uh, we, we, we hit Seattle. We hit Wittenberg. Okay. I think everybody had Wittenberg. You know, a few, a few of us had Derek. Maha Miracle, you could throw in there, obviously. But I want to hit, um, I want to hit you with one that was really, uh, you know, not heralded as a lucky play that everybody would know about. But if you're a Philly fan, you would know. Okay, our Super Bowl year, uh, right before the half in the divisional round, uh, Torrey Smith, the catch that put us in field goal range, essentially put us midfield. Mm-hmm. We were able to get points. We were able to go up right before the half in a one-score game. We don't get that field goal the way that game was going. Uh, we don't win the game now. The way it got caught, okay, Nick Foles threw the ball right at Keanu Neal's knee. Ball pops right up in the air. It's windy. It's just like it's a shit show out there. Nobody can move the ball. It's the biggest gain of the day. It gave us momentum. It gave us points. Popped right up in the air. Torrey Smith caught the ball, advanced the midfield. We score. If that doesn't happen, that, that, that run looks way different, and Philadelphia football looks way different. Don't bring that up. They're already still mad about the draft, so we'll just pass on by. Macon's next. <laughs> I think I've already hit my quota for mentioning the University of Virginia, but um, we 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 know the UMBC loss. We know coming back late, very late, to beat Purdue, Auburn, and Texas Tech. But a little mini 6-0 run might have saved a lot of lives in Seville in the year 2019. Virginia's down 30 to 16 to Gardner Webb, a 1 16 matchup for the second year in a row. Who's are down 14 in the first half? Kyle Guy hits a three. Uh, They get it, they cut it to six at the break. But if you go back to back 
seasons, losing to a 16. I don't know if a basketball program can survive such a thing. No, I think it's over. Yeah. (laughs) Over. I think it's literally just over. Unbelievable. So a a 6-0 run in basketball is my my final selection. Very personal selection, but yeah. Yeah, indeed. My my last one is I sent you guys the video of Hale Irwin, the shot on – that's to win a tournament, 18th hole, uh, 1984 Pebble Beach Pro-Am. Abs- I mean, it is a is hard. Pat Summerall on the call also, which makes the whole thing. Um, hard, look le- hard hook left on 18 on Pebble. You know the cliff is there and just hits a rock, spits out. If you watch the next shot, he hits the pin uh, on, that, on the approach shot. Just, I mean, you want to talk about to get a, to get a golf win? Pretty pretty good on that course. Scaling over the over the green too. Yeah, I mean it was oh, yeah. probably going to bounce right oh, off. Bounce. Oh, bounce and hit it. Yep, yep. Yeah, that was very lucky. And I'm sure with golf, there there are plenty of them. But that was that couples. Just the fact that it was masters. two shots. Yep. Not new topic for uh, future podcasts. Which one? Golf shots. Rank super uh, quarterbacks with one Super Bowl win. Ooh, very good. Unfortunately for Aaron, it looks like he's going to be in that category uh, for the rest of his career and beyond. Oh, that sucks. The Brett Hall goal, okay, game seven, stars. He's in the crease. Okay, that's one. Is he? Is he? Uh, (laughs) And I love Brett Hall. I fucking love him. You know, I used to drink with Brett Hall in St. Louis. I don't want to hear any more because that's a, that's 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 all you need to know is you did that at the Ritz at the cigar bar. We used to throw him back, and Brett is everything you want Brett Hall to be. As uh-huh. you can see, I've heard at the parades. I had I had Cleo Lemon to Greg Camarillo, um, and it's not Camarillo, by the way. Uh, there's two L's I know, and Stanford boy. Yeah, is he a Stanford guy? Oh yeah. So so if you remember that play in in '07. Um, relatively inconsequential, but to not be 0-16. They're down 13-3 yeah. to at the half to the Ravens. They're underdogs in that game, obviously. They're 0-15. You know, at the, at the uh, I think it was in overtime, uh, it was maybe their first drive, like an 80-yard connection to Camarillo uh, for the win, so they don't go 0-16. And to empty the clip here, uh, Haskins and Burrow. I mean, you know, the Haskins situation that drove Burrow out of uh, LSU or out of Ohio State to LSU. Somebody should have told Colin Coward that he used to be at Ohio State. Did you ever see him interviewing Urban Meyer? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. He said, Why do you know oh, so much about this kid? Colin says he is research. Well, <laughs> Colin's better with the pronunciations, but he missed that one. Uh, Correct. Yeah, I, th- I think that would be up there for me uh, as a wild card Washington letting Brad Johnson walk. For Brad Johnson, he could have been a, a Redskin, you know, uh, the yep. football team. Sorry to say the name. Uh, but, you know, we try. We go on streaks of months without mentioning it, but I blew it here. Yep. Uh, Brad Johnson might have never been on that Tampa Bay team, which was extremely talented and destined to be in that spot. That's not to uh, take away any credit he should get for that run, but he was very lucky to be there. Jeff George is who. Uh, Washington opted for. Yes. Yes. Jeff fucking George. Yes, that's true. Jake, what else you got? You want to empty the clip real quick? Sure. Uh, Aaron Rodgers falling to, to 24 for the, mm-hmm. for the pack. Um, mm-hmm. Really had his sights set on his hometown-ish 49ers at number one overall. Didn't happen. He falls. Some Actually, a pretty good draft when you look back on it. Names you know, a couple you don't. Yeah. But uh, he goes to 24. Um, Green Bay has one Super Bowl and counting because of it. I, I think we liken it to the Colts and Manning and Luck. Luck, of course, retires early um, without that hardware. And now we, we wait and see what happens with trading up for a guy like Jordan Love, um, which will be fascinating. Uh, Countless cases of people plummeting in drafts and it and it working out, but this is a high profile one that resulted in a Lombardi trophy. Absolutely, an absolute gift and a hard thing to compare what happened this year. I know a lot of people were like, Yeah, it could be the you know, but as as you pointed out, there was a big difference. Um, 
in the situations. I mean, Aaron Rodgers was a guy who was supposed to be like a lottery pick right at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, so such a gift. I guess I'll close it out with this one, guys, on quarterbacks. This was one I was afraid to say. I'm not afraid to say it. I'll just fucking say it. The Patriots are lucky they have Tom Brady. There was no skill there. I know there was a quarterback coach that pushed for him. Uh, but if they liked him so much, they would have picked him ahead of Adrian Clem, J.R. Redman, Greg Randall, Dave Stachelski, Jeff Marriott, uh, and Antoine Harris. Antoine Harris, UVA Antoine Harris? I That just jumped out at me. But he was he the six-round the, uh, six pick uh, that year from UVA? I don't know. But not to bury the lead here, I know we have our, our, uh, our UVA allegiances and that could yeah, be Antoine Harris. It was UVA Antoine Harris. Yeah. No. no disrespect to Antoine Harris here, but if the Patriots liked him so fucking much and they're just such geniuses, wouldn't they have just picked him earlier? I mean, I get it. At that point, he's the value. Just admit that you were lucky to get Tom Brady, please. One time. It's been 22 years or whatever. One hey, time. Lucky. Steve, who was the first quarterback taken after Tom Brady? Todd Husak, Stanford University, in my way. Nice. I think that was a that that quarterback draft was rough. I think if I remember. Here you go, Chad Pennington, Giovanni Carmazzi, Hofstra, Chris Redman, T. Martin, Mark Bolger, Spurgeon, Wynn, then Brady, Todd Husak, Jawan Sider, Florida A&M, mm -hmm. Tay, La Tech. Darius Jackson, Joe Hamilton, Georgia Tech, and that'll do it for the for the QBs. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unreal. Unbelievable. And you're just lucky. You're lucky. That's my senior college, man. It's incredible. Fuck, dude. Those are some good breaks. Those are some, what this put me in a good mood. Anything could happen this week for me. You know? All right. I like the uh optimism. attitude. You know, coming out of this segment, I hope everybody feels like anything can happen. Anything is possible. Good breaks. Appreciate you guys. It was a good break having Stanford Steve on. We hope to have him back soon. Uh, be well, my friend. All right, brother. See you guys. Thank you, sir.